Welcome to Legal Management Talk, the official podcast of the Association of Legal Administrators. I'm your host, Kate Raftery. Today I'm speaking with Rob Battern, MBA, the president and founder of Mattern LLC, and an overall expert about law firm operations topics like outsourcing, efficiency, and more. Welcome, Rob. Thanks for taking the time to talk. Hey, it's great to be here. You were originally scheduled to be a speaker at ALA's 2020 Annual Conference and Expo, which has unfortunately been postponed due to the coronavirus pandemic. But that's not going to stop us from discussing the knowledge you are going to share with annual conference attendees. So before we get started, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work? Okay. Um, started Mattern in 1997. Uh, I used to sell outsourcing to law firms. And um, we you know, just saw a lot of law firms outsourcing for not necessarily the right reasons. Or if they were outsourcing, um, they didn't really... Um, enter into contracts or situations that benefited them as much as it should have. And uh, I thought, you know, I think there's an opportunity to be, to be sitting on the client side, the law firm side, and assist them with this process to either help them improve their operation in-house or if they want to outsource to make sure they do so intelligently and sign contracts that are um, mutually beneficial and uh, make sure they're selecting the right service providers. So, um, you know, wrote a business plan and started marketing it and um, took off from there. Great. Well, now that everyone knows who you are, if they didn't already know before, since you're heavily involved in ALA, as we'll go into. Uh, so you were going to do two sessions at an annual conference. One was called Information Governance as a Client Service Initiative. Could you describe the importance of information governance? I suspect large firms and corporate legal departments have a lot of resources to devote to it, but maybe not so much for small and mid-sized firms. Well, you're exactly right in regards to the size of the firm and the amount of resources they have to dedicate to information governance. Um, a lot of people questioned this topic, like how can information governance be a client initiative? And really, that's, that's what it is. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone thinks of it just as managing the paper or the electronic records and making sure you can find things and you're destroying things in a timely fashion or per the retention schedules. But really, it's a um, it's a client service, and because well, number one, more and more clients are demanding it. They want to know where their information is at, how well it's being uh, protected, and you know whether you're keeping it for too long or whatever. Okay, so. A lot of clients in their RFPs that they're sending out to law firms are, are asking the firms to respond to that whole information governance. So the clients are driving a lot of firms uh, down the information governance road in the firm's best interest um, to be able to safeguard their clients' information, obviously. Um, you know, you don't want to get the reputation of a client breach and something like that, that that will doesn't obviously doesn't help you from um, with your current clients or obtaining new clients. And also too, it's, if it's done right, and that there's a um, a plan in place for both electronic and paper, and it's being implemented. You know, in other words, the firm's in compliance. It's only going to make it more organized and more efficient in how you practice law going forward. And we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the pieces that go into that. But really, it makes it an overall more, you know, cost-effective, efficient operation if you're in compliance. 
unfortunately, mm-hmm. and we just did a webinar a couple um, couple months ago on information governance, and about 70 firms were on that call. Not one was in compliance on the electronic side or the paper side or both. Wow. So it's great, great having information governance, great having retention schedules, but the next key is getting compliant. Uh, so if they're not already doing so, if these policies don't exist at all, or if they're, like we said, not compliant, how can legal managers integrate information governance processes and policies into the workflow in a cost-effective way? Okay, um, a, a number of ways. Okay, first of all, just to circle around to the point, we don't have the resources in-house. So a lot of firms, smaller firms don't. Um, I tell you, you can't buy or borrow is probably a better term, the resources to help you get a policy in place and, um, you know, uh, uh, develop the schedules and so on like that. So if you don't have it, the expertise in-house, you have to go out and get the expertise. Um, And even taking a step back before that, it's not, you know, my my mother used to say, uh, life is not a destination, it's a journey. And the same mm-hmm. goes for information governance slash retention. It's not all going to, all, you know, one day you're going to sit there and say, oh, we're all done. Now, you may be compliant across the board, which is a great place to get to, but you're continually working on information governance um, policy and implementation. So, again, it's not like you're going to be done like a renovation and you're going to cut a ribbon or have a, have a party. But you are going to, mm-hmm. um, it's a continuing process for the firms. Um, but how do, you, how do you get started? First of all, you got to get a policy. It doesn't have to be super elaborate, but you have to get some type of um, roadmap for the firms to follow in regards to what their retention, what their information governance policy is going to be. Um, that's essential. Next thing is, okay, based upon that policy, whether you do it in-house or you have an outside expert do it, is doing really a gap analysis or a risk assessment. Okay, where are we where are we in compliance or where are we close to getting in compliance and where are the areas that we gotta work on? Um, next thing is, you know, there's a lot of different buckets here. You know, you have your offsite paper situation, you know, store with an offsite service provider, you have your electronic, um, you have your on site records. So really almost pick the low hanging fruit, try to get some quick victories to get people excited as much as they're going to be about information governance. But, uh, you know, pick your pick your battles carefully in the beginning to start getting some successes and people are buying into this. Um, it's also a great time that we find, and, and we're actually going to be doing a webinar down the line for AOA, and we speak about this a lot, we call it getting to zero. And when I say getting mm-hmm. to zero, it's getting out of the offsite record storage business. Um, and there's really three pillars to that is the, obviously the retention policy implementing that um, is to the digital front end. How are you going to stop producing paper that you have to do something with? And three, how are you going to destroy in a cost-effective manner, the paper that is stored at these, your offsite record storage provider. And we have, you know, the number of clients now, um, 
firms that have, okay, hey, I got my retention schedule. I'm ready to destroy, but it's so cost prohibitive because they signed these mm-hmm. contracts, you know, 30 years ago, um, back, you know, even longer, you know, when I used to say, uh, when Nixon was in office, that they signed <laughs> these contracts that have just renewed on an evergreen type renewal policy and it's cost exorbitant. And then they look to us to, okay, how do I, how do I make this cost effective? Because, right. This whole re- information governance retention there. Yeah. There's a cost to it, but over time, if you're destroying what's offsite, so you're getting away from the storage fees and it's cost effective and you're not sending more offsite, you're, you're eventually reducing that cost over time. Um, it may be a number of years, but you know it's gonna it's gonna eventually save the firm money. And we have a number mm-hmm. of clients that we're working with now that we're helping them implement their retention schedules. And um, you know, again, there's upfront costs, but long term wise, and when I say long term, you're talking three years plus, they're gonna be saving money over what they're spending now in their offsite record storage. And obviously, you have now touched on um, ways to save and maybe you know, they're a little bit down the line. So how do you justify the immediate cost of information governance to firm stakeholders? Like, in other words, how do you frame it as a client service, as you mentioned before? Okay, well, uh, let's take a step back. The clients in a lot of situations are driving this bus. Mm -hmm. They are demanding to know, as part of their engagement with you, how are you going to manage their information? So having a sound policy to give to them on how to manage it and being in compliance is a great sales tool because a lot of firms don't have or are not there yet. So um, that's that's where the client service initiative comes in. You also, too, it's, you know, they say, well, hey, there's a big cost to this. You really don't have a choice anymore. You know, yeah. you, you, yeah, you really, you got to get on this bus. And, yeah, there may be some upfront hits. But again, if it's done well, it's going to pay for itself. Again, if you're attacking all fronts. Um, but again, the market's demanding it. And the firms that are um, going to be the winners here are the ones who are going to have a policy that, uh, that they are in compliance on for both electronic and paper. Um, and also, too, they, you know, people tend to dismiss electronic storage, you know, not much of a cost to it. And, and they're right. It's much less um, than paper, but it's still about 10000 per gigabyte if you're adding all the direct and indirect costs involved there. Mm-hmm. And I think that you've uh, pounced on a point that I think uh, as going paperless is part of, uh, part of this process, uh, I think a lot of firms are currently finding that they wish they had gone paperless earlier considering – that a lot of us are working from home currently, so they might might be figuring that out right now. <laughs> I just did a um, a blog post. If there was a opportunity as as sad as and tragic as this is, um, mm-hmm. okay, it does. You know, it is a tremendous wake up call to be you know to be going more and more paperless. Um, than you were before, you know, to have all this stuff, you know, organized in your, in your DMS system and so on like that. Um, if, if the firms needed a wake-up call, this is it. 
absolutely. Okay, so let's move on to your other annual conference session, which is uh, uh, related. Uh, it's called Top Three Things That Optimize Outsourcing Contracts. Can you describe what makes it a successful outsourcing partnership for both sides? <clears throat> Again, I think you hit the nail on the head there when you say both sides. Um, <laughs> what we try to because I tell you, a lot of, um, you know, is, this is not, a, it shouldn't be a winner and loser, okay, an outsourcing mm -hmm. situation. Uh, some firms do attack it that way. Um, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but really what we should try to do is create a win-win situation here, and that's what we try to do at Matter. And really, there's three, to me, key parts to a successful outsourcing relationship. And the first one is, that, you know, is, expectations, expectations of the service provider and the expectations of the client. Okay, it's a, and the expectations are really the service levels that the client is expecting the service provider to perform on a daily, weekly, hourly, monthly function, uh, uh, a rotation so that all the areas that the firm, firm wants the service provider to supply excellent service are clearly detailed. And I call it like there's no surprises. You know exactly what you have to do to be successful in this job. And that's why I say to the service providers and client, if the service provider does all these things in a timely fashion and above a, with a success ratio of like 98% or, uh, or exceptions of one per month or whatever, you will be happy with these services. So again, both sides know exactly what's expected of them. Um, the next key to successful outsourcing situation is the personnel, on-site, site managers, and the support that on-site people, the managers, get from the outsourcing provider. Okay, a lot of times, you know, we, we'll go into a situation and the firm's not happy, and um, firm will say, well, you know, I really don't like my site manager. They're not doing a good job. Well, you know, how many do you interview or the service provider provide for you to interview prior to selecting the one you have? Well, no, they just gave us this one. Uh, that's mm -hmm. mistake number one. You, you should have a choice of your site manager or any other key personnel. I just don't want to limit it to the manager as part of your operation. And the, and the outsourcing provider that you are hiring should have the bench strength and the personnel that, to give you that choice. You know, I don't care how well RFP is written or how great a consultant you've hired or the greatest service provider in the world. They don't know your culture like you do. Mm -hmm. And there's certain personalities that work and certain personalities that don't. And a site manager that was great in one operation uh, it may not be great in a different type of operation. So the personnel on site is key, especially the site manager. And then again, the um, the personnel that is supporting him or her um, when there's things outside the norm, getting and or, or as part of the norm, um, they're getting good backups. You know, uh, when people are out sick or on vacation, the people are coming in well trained. Um, you know, there's, when there's one-off type situations, which there's going to be in every law firm, that they have the support to help them solve that for the client. So it's not, you know, the on-site people are critical, but the off-site people supporting them 
to me, is equally critical. And again, all containing a contract that is a win-win. And then the last piece um, is a firm, is the management of the firm. And, you know, I, I tell you, we'll talk to clients, and I'll say, hey, why do you want to outsource this operation? And they'll say, well, because I'm tired of managing it. Hmm. Well, I'll be honest with you, it's, you're still managing it. It's a different type of management, okay? And a lot has to do with how, how good your contract is and the service levels, but um, you're, still, you're still managing it. It's not like you, you wash your hands of it and walk away. That's when things go wrong. So, again, you're not in the weeds. You shouldn't be in the weeds, you know, hiring people and training them, something like that. That's what you're hiring this outsourcing provider for. But you're still managing. And you got to have the reporting in place that gives you the information to um, make make decisions on the operation. And the outsourcing provider should be teeing that ball up for you as part of that reporting on, hey, you know, hey, we're overstaffed. Things have changed. People are printing more than copying. Mail runs, you know, there's, you know, we want to eliminate some mail runs because of contents, you know, our LLB catalogs that we're delivering. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They should be bringing those things to the table. Um, but that's all part of that management. And, you know, people say, well, I hate to meet monthly. Well, I tell you, if you want a successful operation, that's what you have to do. You know, I'll, I'll just add this, you know, there's law firms out there that are on their third outsourcing vendor in 10 years. That shouldn't mm-hmm. be the case. Okay, um, the firm has to look in the mirror and say, hey, what am I doing wrong here? It's not always the service provider's fault. It could be the firm's fault that you're not effectively managing those um, service providers. So hopefully, excusing the, um, the I don't want to manage this anymore, <laughs> what are some reasons or some benefits of outsourcing some of the law firm's back office or middle office operations? Well, I tell you, unfortunately, Outsourcing, um, say first of all, outsourcing is a great tool to having your management tool bag. Okay, mm-hmm. I don't care the size of your firm, I don't care where you're located at. Um, and part of the reason is, you know, it, again, it could supply needed expertise if you don't have it. And you know, we talked earlier about information governance. If you, you know, a lot of firms don't have a CRM or a uh, which is a certified records manager or an information governance professional sitting around, okay? Outsourcing is a way to get that expertise and knowledge for as long as you need it, okay? So it's, uh, one of the benefits is it's a great way to get expertise that you don't have. Um, getting back to outsourcing in the four-letter word, you know, when outsourcing is not done right, and we could talk about done right, um, it has a negative connotation in the media, um, especially. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. I'll be talking to people, and I'll just say, geez, guess what? You know, so-and-so just got outsourced. I'll say, well, isn't that great? You know, the, the way they're making it sound is like he just found out he has an incurable disease. And mm-hmm. that shouldn't be the case if it's done right. It's, it's providing a lot of people, you know, especially in a law firm, with a career path. You know, let's, you know being totally upfront. The gentleman delivering your mail is not going to become manager partner. Okay. However, that mm-hmm. person delivering the mail today could be a great site manager, a great area manager, a great uh, director of operations. You know, it's giving them a career path to climb. 
okay, whereas in a, a law firm, a lot of times they don't. And I'm not saying everybody wants a career path. There are some people happy, you know, delivering mail, and that's fine. As long as they do an expert job at it and it, 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 they're fulfilled, I'm not questioning that in the least. But for the people who want the career path, outsourcing is a great way to do it. Um, it's a great way to, you know, again, this is a great time that kind of highlights this. And going forward, at least for, I think, for a little bit, is going to be flexibility over the size of your operation. Be able to, up, you know, increase your workforce, decrease your work, uh, or decrease your workforce without, you know, severance costs, without, you know, the uh, messiness of terminating an employee. So outsourcing gives you that flexibility. And it should extend to your equipment, too, that you can upgrade, downgrade, or delete at any time throughout the contract. So it gives you a lot of flexibility, mm-hmm. um, which is only going to help you control costs. Um, and, again, that's becoming more and more um, important in the legal market. Um, you know, a couple of great examples. Perkins Coey had uh, four different outsourcing providers among their offices. Um, and their main office in Seattle, where they had 70 people in the back office operations was not outsourced. That was in-house and Mm -hmm. um, evaluated the operation and went through an RFP process and they settled on one vendor, uh, one service provider to manage all their offices and they outsourced their in-house department in uh, Seattle. And it was done well. And that's when Mm -hmm. I say it was done right. The employees were protected uh, they weren't. Their salaries weren't chopped. They weren't assigned to sites 50 miles away from their house. Okay, um, the firm was very, very paternalistic. Uh, they kept their employees whole, but over time, that labor force is going to be right-sized, and the salaries that they were paying uh, for those positions were going to be also right-sized once they went to market. So I, I give the firm a lot of credit. Um, they did it well. Um, you know, they they made good decisions. They got good contracts in place, and you know they're situated for the future. Great. And uh, finally, speaking of uh, like the example you just provided, you have a column in the March issue of Legal Management where you emphasize the importance of efficiency and standardization. How does that relate to outsourcing? I tell you, outsourcing again, going back to that management tool bag, um, is a great way to achieve the standardization. And the efficiency. Um, I tell you, it's paramount in today's world uh, with the mobile workforce. Now, granted, that's not true the last two weeks, and hopefully that's going to end soon. But with mm-hmm. attorneys traveling for different offices and so on like that, um, and the support that the attorneys need, they walk in as the same experience. The machines are the same. The interface to the cost recovery system is the same. They know how to send jobs to the centralized repro, how to get things scanned, delivered, you know, overnight services, sending document, uh, documents to document processing to be done. It's transparent whether they're in Singapore or they're in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's the way of the future. And outsourcing, I'm not saying you can't do it on your own, that standardization and efficiency, but outsourcing, again, if you have the right provider um, with the right personnel and the right management in place 
uh, outsourcing can make that a lot easier. And, you know, the other thing you really got to consider when you're looking at this is, you know, management focus, okay? And how much Mm -hmm. bandwidth do you have as a manager to really focus on all the different areas that you have to focus on? And that's where outsourcing, you know, comes in handy. It allows you to really delegate certain functions um, to an outsider who has expertise to perform that well. You're still involved. You're still making the key decisions, but it, you know, allows you to kind of walk away from the day-to-day. And and that's another reason why firms hire matter. You know, hey, could they do an RFP? Absolutely. They could do an RFP um, for outsourcing. But they Mm -hmm. hire us because the expertise we have and the fact that they could delegate it to us to do all the nitty-gritty, bring, you know, market benchmarks and so on like that, and they're still making the decision. So it's the same philosophy um, that they're just outsourcing certain functions to a consultant instead of to an outsourcing service provider. Yep, it sounds like uh, going outside your expertise is, a, is an important key to this. Yes. Well, well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Rob. We hope that when we know what's happening with annual conference, you'll still be on the speaker roster. I hope I am. I, I always look forward to it. <laughs> yeah, it's a great event. In the meantime, if you're interested in learning more from Rob, I've linked the legal management article that we mentioned earlier, as well as the uh, ALA webinar he'll be doing in October called The Getting the Zero Strategy, and that's all linked in the show notes. I also appreciate our listeners and subscribers for tuning in. As always, you can learn more about ALA at alanet.org. Until next time.